From the Orange County Fire Authority, this is the Pass Along Podcast, where we address firefighter issues from top to bottom, from your helmet down to your boots. Now, here's your host. Welcome, everybody, to July's podcast. This is Assistant Chief Shane Sherwood. Today, we are sitting down speaking to the investigation section. We have Investigator Sean Miller, Chief Justin Truhill, Investigator Bill Strom, Detective Justin Russell, and Fire Captain Representative Okayak, Scott Derdorf with us. So thank you all for being here. That's who's in the room, and uh, we'll get started with you, Chief Truhill. Um, why don't you just give us a summary and kind of an overall, uh, what does the investigation section look like? How is it made up? Um, who, who's in there and, uh, and kind of just give us a, an overall picture of what the investigation section looks like. All right. Thank you, Chief. Thanks for having the investigation section on the podcast today. Uh, first off, there's a total of 12 personnel in our section, including myself and uh, Scott Deerdorf. Uh, we'll start with our admin. It's Roxanna Kalin. She started in our section uh, approximately last April. She handles all the admin duties uh, for our section members. Plus, she's the first line customer service for our section. Uh, next, we have our shift investigators. Uh, our shift investigators, there's two per shift, A, B, and C, respectively, and they're also based out of Fire Station 36 and 55. On A shift, we have Pardon and McCullough, B shift, Lineberger and Gillespie, and C shift, Kuhlman and Burns. And these are probably the most recognized as they're the members that are of the section that are most likely to show up at uh, the majority of the incidents. Uh, the shift investigators are responsible for origin cause determination on all incidents throughout the county. They're also the first line of support for the first in company officers to assist them with either their origin and cause and or report writing uh, with that. Along with our shift investigators, we also have our day investigators. Uh, those are spread out throughout the days of the week, Monday through Thursday, we have Captain Strom and Detective Russell, and then Tuesday through Friday, we have Captain Miller and his sidekick, Freedom. Uh, our day shift investigators are responsible for any and all follow-up within their respective cities, and then they also work directly with the DA to upload and file cases uh, for our shift investigators. Uh, along with that, they can also act as a liaison with our law enforcement partners uh, dependent on uh, the respective cities that they're responding to or working with. So, yeah, and just to, to kind of, you know, expand on that, uh, we are very fortunate to have uh, Detective Justin Russell in the section. He's been there for about nine years. He's a liaison uh, for the section to the law enforcement side. And maybe maybe you can expand a little more, Justin, on kind of what that role is that you play, not only within the city of Irvine, but throughout all of the county as far as investigation goes. Yeah, so my obvious uh, first area of responsibility is the city of Irvine and uh, managing the, the caseload for fire-related incidents there. But uh, like you said, I've been fortunate enough to be in the section for a little over nine years. Lending uh, my expertise in the area of uh, kind of the detective side of things, the follow-up, the criminal side of uh, cases, how do we file those cases, uh, and how we bring them to successful prosecution. So um, the nice thing is is that during my time here, I have been able to go countywide and uh, liaison with other law enforcement agencies, uh, utilizing the ability to kind of bridge that gap because a lot of times law enforcement doesn't quite understand what the fire guys are doing. And so I can come in and explain, this is how the fire guys are going to uh, do their part of the investigation. This is what we could uh, use from, from the local law enforcement agency. And, uh, and then that way the DA can use both sides of that for, for those criminal matters. And I'll take a moment to just brag and, uh, you know, yourself and uh, 
Scott Coleman, uh, you know, go up and down the state, uh, showing off that relationship that we have and that we're so fortunate to have with yourself uh, and our law enforcement between fire and law. That's not typical that you see throughout really the nation, probably. Um, so I'll brag and thank you for doing that. And thank you for, for representing OCFA and, and Irvine PD, obviously, and showing, hey, there is the possibility to have a relationship as what, such as what we have. So thanks for doing that and uh, keep, up, keep up the good work there. Kind of moving on to the, the, you know, the specialty, I'll, I'll, I'll identify it. Why don't we talk to, to you, Scott, and just kind of um, your role with Okayak, uh, why it makes sense to fit, fit you underneath investigation, and um, kind of just expand on what your, your uh, job duties are as far as representing us at Okayak. Uh, perfect. Thanks, Chief, for ha having me here today. My spot at the Okayak is a grant-funded position. I'm technically the DHS or Department of Homeland Security liaison for the, the fire department and our federal partners. I work off-site um, at what we call a fusion center. There's 80 of them in the nation. The one we have in Orange County is the only one in the country that's a county only. And uh, that's kind of a specific thing. We have 3.3 million people here in Orange County. It's a lot of uh, infrastructure, a lot of, of threat stream things. And my, my role is really to be that liaison between our federal partners and our state and local agencies. Um, in my position, I do a lot of training. I do a lot of uh, response. I respond to any active shooter, airplane down, SWAT, bomb, hazmat call as a staff 15 and really act as a liaison and kind of uh, be the network for those three-letter agencies that are going to show up to a major incident and help out that incident commander. Um, I do work uh, with the Sheriff's Department a lot. We do a lot with Hazmat, J-Hat, all of those different roles. And then I'm also a task force officer with the FBI, and my responsibilities include uh, weapons of mass destruction and really a subject matter expert in uh, chemical, biological, radiological, nuclear, things like that. And the reason that it's under investigations is uh, the position for years back when it started in the Terrorist Early Warning Group in 2007 was under the EPAC. And we've kind of gone away from the emergency planning to where falling under investigations, it's a sworn position. I do work some cases, I do work undercover in some events, and uh, having a firearm is definitely a, a safety issue that, that we do. In, in the country, we're kind of leading the way for fire intel, and uh, I'm really excited with the support I get from investigations and the OCFA to be out there talking about these things with the rest of the nation. And I think what's important, with especially with your position, is that, um, I don't know if we've spoken about it in probably a few years, but I think, uh, how the folks out in the field or within the organization period can utilize you and your position. And, and, and kind of where I'm going with that is if, if there's a suspicion or something that doesn't make sense that either one of our engine companies or someone with our organization experiences, what, what does that look like? I mean, that's a phone call to you. And then, you know, you can, you can use your resources and tools to kind of follow up on that. Well, definitely what I, what I really like to preach about, uh, especially on the fire side, is we go on all these calls. Even the bad guys uh, call 911 for medical aids. We go into these houses. Most of the, the things that fire sees um, turn into pretty major cases at Okayak. So it's nice to have those things out there. If they want to call uh, Staff 15, it's an easy uh, dispatch for them. I'll, I can do a phone consult. I can respond to a call. But if you're seeing anything out there that kind of has that, that nexus to um, – terrorism, that nexus to any of the threat streams, whether it's maritime, um, cyber, drugs, uh, domestic, international, any of those things, I definitely have the contacts and, and we report the cases and kind of work that up. Do some deconfliction with the agencies. There might be people actually working on something, but, but really it's a, it's a good position to leverage our first responders. We're the only uh, county in the state 
where all of our firefighters and all of our uh, police officers get terrorism liaison basic in their academies, which gives us the, the 10,000 first responders we have in Orange County to really kind of have an awareness about this. It's a unique advantage that we're pushing in the state that nobody else is doing. As well as if a division was having some type of special event, that's something you can make sure that you haven't seen anything that's going to be of concern of that event. They can utilize you for that as well, right? We're definitely sharing uh, with, with our local partners. Um, it's nice for us to be able to push out to, to our division chiefs, uh, to our other smaller cities, talk to their operations chiefs and make them aware of the events that are happening in their area. So fire can be part of that pre-planning instead of it just being a law event or maybe they're not aware of it. So having the ability to kind of see both events um, and share with uh, law and fire is a unique position and it really does help uh, strengthen our community. Awesome, Scott. I appreciate you being there and appreciate everything you do for, for us and representing us at Okayak. Um, another specialty that we have within the investigation section is uh, amazing canine freedom and, uh, and Sean Miller, Investigator Miller, as his handler. Um, Sean, maybe you can speak to a little bit of about freedom and then maybe some of the other specialty uh, items or capabilities that we have with investigations that maybe utilize in some capacity that would out within the organization, maybe unexpectedly. Um, so if you can expand a little bit on freedom and, and some of those things. Yes, sir. Absolutely, Chief. Uh, so we've been fortunate to have freedom in our agency coming up on five years. Uh, freedom's a pretty unique resource. Um, freedom's one of three, well, now four, uh, accelerant detection canines in the state of California and one of only 60 in the nation. Uh, so that makes it a national resource um, for us. Freedom comes to us through an agreement with the ATF and the Department of Justice uh, where they did that training um, and helped us train Freedom and get Freedom and I up and running. They certify us yearly. Um, we have the opportunity to respond uh, all throughout not only Orange County, California, but the nation, uh, which brings us a lot of experience of uh, learning different things there. Um, Freedom is a food reward dog. Uh, so he's with me 24-7 uh, on family vacations for the most part. He comes with me. Um, he it, by being food reward, uh, his only food comes from uh, either training or calls. So we need to use the resource uh, in one of those two ways so that he can get his meals every day. Uh, I weigh him regularly to make sure his weight stays on par and then adjust his food based on, based on his weight. Uh, they require that we stay within 5% of his goal weight, 70 pounds. Um, I know that I bring that up because a lot of people discuss uh, the health and safety of freedom. Um, he gets regular uh, vet checks, including blood work. Um, those types of things. So he, he probably receives better care than I do in a lot of ways. Um, so we're, we're constantly monitoring his health. Uh, when we go to the ATF at least once a year, um, multiple veterinarians look at him there outside of his regular vet uh, to make sure that uh, he's on par with everything that needs to be done. Um, so like I said, we're, we're really fortunate to have freedom in that, in that avenue. Um, and he, he helps us quite a bit on locally on any of our incidents. Uh, they can provide valuable resource or information to the investigators uh, much quicker than if we were using a mechanical device. Other things in investigations that we can do or resources that we bring um, would be different imaging, whether it's just uh, our digital cameras or um, 3D imaging. Uh, we use that stuff. We'll use drones uh, to capture different images, um, as well as um, our mapping ability to reconstruct a scene, kind of put things back together, whether that's the accidental fires or the criminal ones, we, we bring that expertise to all of it. Uh, specifically for both of those, actually, um, we bring the, the courtroom testimony piece or that piece of deposition to hopefully keep um, that, that heavy lifting on, on the investigation section. We go through quite a bit of training to, to be ready for that, 
that aspect and hopefully keep our, our captains out of that and limit that exposure as much as we can. Thank you. I appreciate that. I think uh, something probably everybody listening to this would want to hear is how do I join the investigation section? How would I, how would I become a fire investigator? What are some of the things that, you know, obviously you need to go through the process and be selected, but what are some of the things uh, they can do out there prior to even having a process that they might be able to, you know, do beforehand if they desire to be part of the investigation section at some point in their career? Yeah, I'll go ahead and answer that. Um, First thing, the minimum qualifications are pretty basic. You just got to be a captain within our organization um, and be able to pass the background as far as um, the uh, live scan and then um, the, the uh, psych um, background. Uh, outside of that, it's like highly desirable to get investigations 1A, 1B, and 1C. And they're offered um, through, through some of our local um, channels through training. Uh, Scott Kuhlman, Justin Russell, we talked about earlier, they, um, they're, they're doing some of that. And then in addition to that, there's also the ability to get your uh, national um, cert or just be certified as a fire investigator. Um, like NAFI is an example, uh, which would be a national organization of fire investigators, offers a cert. And it's just a, it's based on credits, 105 credits, that it's a combination of education, time on the job, and um, hours um, done investigating fires. And kind of just talking about certification, because we are a, a state contract county um, our investigators are required at least one of one of you as an investigator is to be FI 210 qualified in order to to investigate the, the SRA fire. Is that correct? Right. That's a, a gray book agreement. And yes, we have a, um, one investigator that will handle anything that's in the SRA um, that would be assigned to that fire. That's correct. And, and just kind of to keep going down that route, what what is the expected or what's required of you guys as investigators when we do have an SA, SRA, or SRA fire, whether it's 10 by 10 or whether it's a thousand acres, what, what is expected from Cal Fire and that, that AOP and as far as what we have to do uh, as far as investigation goes? Yeah, Chief, uh, because we are a contract county, we operate under the guidelines of the AOP. And within these guidelines, it states that any fire within the SRA must be investigated. It also states that any fire uh, that actually exceeds the IA period, uh, which according to AOP is two hours, must be investigated by a qualified uh, wildland fire investigator and or uh, INVF uh, registered in IROC. Uh, to add to this a little bit, the, the reason our investigation section should be called out to SRA fires is, once again, due to that contract county, we must document our origin and cause findings uh, in a certain required format, which is called a 10-cat, which is short for 10-category, and, and that is outside of our current IRIS uh, platform. Uh, this actually helps the state with uh, potential cost recovery uh, reimbursement, and we actually file that with the state uh, once a month, uh, depending on how many uh, SRA fires we get. So like with anything, um, you know, a fire captain unsure whether it's an SRA fire, do I need the, you know, an INVF investigator, or do I need an investigator when maybe it is a clearly, what what would be your recommendation from the from the investigation section as far as uh, a captain uh, on scene, unsure of what they need. Do they need the investigator? What would be a recommendation of how I, they I contact the, the section? Yeah, I think the best thing to do would be at least reach out and uh, have an investigator call them and phone consult them. Let's make sure that it's in the SRA or not in the SRA. That's kind of one of the key pieces here. Uh, but then uh, walk and talk through the incident with the uh, investigator on the phone, and, and they'll, they'll help determine whether they should come out and respond or if origin and cause can be determined by that first-in-company officer dependent on the uh, incident. Okay, perfect. 
What about you guys want to talk about uh, the records management system stuff and as far as uh, some of the challenges as far as captains closing calls or not closing calls. Um, so maybe we can address that in the records management system. If, if I'm a fire captain that's, that's handling that, that call, uh, what does investigation, spe- investigation section expect from me as a fire captain? Do I leave that call open so you can put your notes as an investigator? Do I close it? Can you kind of expand on that? Or I mean, it looks like Sean, you take that if you can kind of address that. Yeah, absolutely, Chief. I'll take that. Um, so as far as working in IRIS, um, it's important that each captain document their actions and their observations. Um, as far as opening or closing the incident, uh, that's going to be dependent on that incident, um, what determinations were made by the investigator. And it's important to have that conversation with the investigator that responds out. And in the case where it's a criminal fire, we're going to need everybody to complete their aspect of IRIS um, as far as their unit narratives, pretty much ASAP um, as we, we have a limited amount of time to complete those files and, and get those submitted for the district attorney's review. So oftentimes uh, the most important thing is that, that that company officer get at least their narrative done so that we can work on the rest of IRIS. Um, not closing those IRIS when the investigator is involved and, and working on that can also be important in um, how information may be released uh, through the clerk's office. So it's it's important to have the conversation with the investigator, find out what avenue they're going down and how they want each company officer to handle their aspect of IRIS. So uh, maybe you can answer this, Justin. So what... We have an audience out there that we, you guys have an opportunity to share your message with. So from a fire captain's perspective, what can they do to, to assist investigators in terms of workload at an incident? Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've got a couple things in mind, and I'll rely on my partners as well. Um, but uh, I, I think one of the first things is um, obviously fire suppression out there at the scene is of the utmost importance. Get the fire put out, get that taken care of. But if they can limit uh, overhaul of the area of origin, if, the, if they have... Uh, a good idea of where that was, um, you know, limiting the amount of water, moving furniture, um, things like that, removing drywall. Those are all key key elements for for our guys when they're uh, starting their origin and cause investigation. And uh, the more intact that we can have it, the better it is for us. Now we get things happen, and and we can work through that. That on the very on the very front end is is extremely helpful. Um, some of the other things we, we may need help with, um, depending on um, how long it might take us to get out to the scene, we may ask an engine company to hold the scene for us. Um, I know sometimes there's a thought process that maybe if law enforcement is there, they'll assist as well and handle that. And if those discussions are had uh, outside of us and, and, and everybody's confident, that's good. But it doesn't always work out that way. So a lot of times we'll lean on the engine, uh, engine companies to, to hold the scene till, till we arrive. Uh, then that way we have that uh, chain chain of custody there. Uh, be prepared to assist with the dig out. Um, obviously, you know if we're pushing shovels and and moving things around, we may need things put back. They may have a good idea if they move something where it was, and so we're going to rely on them to to assist with that. And then I think if if we talk about some of these potentially criminal matters, um, limiting access uh, back into the house. Uh, sometimes, you know, there's a, a strong desire to help the, the occupants and get their belongings and stuff like that. Um, but that that could alter or change the shape of our investigation. So understanding that on the front end and just having those conversations with the investigators on scene. 
hey, we'd like to go back in, help them get some things. Is that okay now, or should we wait a little bit and just and just have those conversations? Uh, Sean already talked about finishing IRIS. Obviously, that's a bigger issue when we have those criminal matters to get that paperwork done. Uh, we've got uh, sometimes about a 24-hour window, up to 48 hours to, to get all the documentation in. So we'd rather not bother guys on their days off to, to write those narratives and, and email them in or whatever needs to be done. So if they can get that done uh, ASAP, that's certainly helpful. And then I guess for me at least, and if anybody has anything else to add, but if there's questions out there, just ask. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. If, if you need to move in a certain direction as the engine, as the engine captain, or need to put your crew in a, in a certain area and, uh, and you're not quite sure, just find the investigator and ask. And I think remembering the details, right? Was the door open? Was the door closed? Was the window broken? Was the window open? Was the, all the breakers tripped or was just the one tripped? I think those details assist with you because, you know, we, so many times we get on scene and, hey, take care of utilities. Bump, 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 everything's off. What you guys get there is like, were any of these on or off before when you got here? So I think those details, if they can share the things like that, uh, are important to, to putting the, the picture together as far as what it looks like from an investigation point. So fire friends. So talking about fire captains and fire friends, what, what can we share with fire captains if they come across somebody that maybe, uh, you know, it, it, there's so many ways this call can come in, but a single engine company rolls out, they have juveniles maybe involved with starting fires. How does fire friends work? What is, what is an intent, its intent and who do, they, who do they contact if they have someone they're going to enroll in, in fire friends? And I'm sorry, I didn't prepare you guys. Fire friends is a, is a juvenile diversion program. Um, we, we usually kind of say the ages between 7 and 13, maybe 14. If they're any younger, they may not have the intention span to sit in that class all day, so we may need to explore some other avenues. And, and typically by the age of 14, 15, you should know better. That's really, <laughs> really what it boils down to. But we understand that there are some uh, extenuating circumstances sometimes to, to that age range, but that's kind of the general. And really what it does is, uh, hopefully, you know, takes the burden off of that particular engine company of having either a parent go, Hey, can you talk to my kid and putting them on the spot to have to deal with that? Or, you know, we've had families show up right at the, the front door of the fire station and go, Hey, my son was starting a fire, you know, give them the firm finger wave and, and tell them to stop. Right. Um, so it's a six hour class on a Saturday held here at headquarters. Um, the paperwork uh, is easily accessible, should be on, on most, if not all engines. And, and if it's not a uh, simple call to the investigation section, we can get it uh, over, over to the crew either by email or, or through the pony. And English and Spanish. English and Spanish, yes. Thank you for that. I forgot about that. And, uh, and then fill out the paperwork, the parents sign, and we'll get, we'll get the juvenile in, enrolled in, in, in the program. It's, it's really... Our, our desire is to educate, and, and not, just, not just the juvenile, but also the family. A parent has to come, come uh, with their uh, son or daughter and attend as well. So there's a lot of learning going on in hopes that this behavior stops is essentially with the, the goal of the program. Well, perfect. I appreciate you sharing that. So why don't we do this? We'll do, we'll do a roundtable and we'll just leave it as, what do you see the biggest challenge for the investigation section? And obviously, um, from, from the perspective of a kayak, um, why don't we start with you, Scott, is... What do you see the biggest challenge from your position as, as being an kayak that maybe you face or that relationship between fire and kind of how we crosswalk between 
what fire deals with and how it moves over to law enforcement and that role that you play in that in between? Um, I think a lot of the um, problems we have are just on not understanding the needs of the outside agencies. Uh, we're very much stuck into we know what we know, and and really it's leveraging those partnerships. It's it's bringing in the the people to, to understand what does law need from this, what does fire need from this, what does the private sector need from this, and it's really kind of leveraging and, and making those things aware. We definitely have a bunch of different training. And um, I mean, we spent in the last 20 years talking about Osama bin bad guy, and that's not really the problem we have right now. So there's a lot of things that are coming up on the forefront. Cyber is a huge issue for us. Uh, tactical uh, EMS is a, is a future thing that we're going to look at. We have fire mitigation, uh, the JHAT, any of that the SWAT, bomb, hazmat component. Those are kind of the future things that we're looking at and really getting awareness out there and understanding how you can impact somebody not only on a call or an incident and really kind of leveraging and helping out your partners. We all have the same team, same goal. And I know you mentioned cyber. We have our IT folks that are working with on, a, a, I don't want to call it a, a task, or I'll call it an ad hoc between the county and making sure that we're all communicating because cyber is such a big deal here for the county. Yeah, we just started actually this year. Uh, we have another one coming up here in August. It's the uh, Orange County Health Fire uh, Information Technology. It's really a working group for all our IT professionals. And when you talk about how like 911 could be attacked through cyber. You talk about how the EPCRs could be attacked and understanding that this is happening to other agencies around the country and that to be prepared for that, to be pre prepared for shutdowns and handling those things. So we definitely have that on the fire side. We also have it on the law enforcement side, same, same sort of structure and, and really looking at those partnerships and understanding that the, the cybersecurity is out there. And to be fair, there's passwords I have here at OCFA that I've not changed in 18 years. So, <laughs> Is it password? <laughs> password one. I had to change it once. Exclamation. <laughs> so those are kind of the future things that we're looking at and really just uh, educating and getting people informed. Awesome. Uh, if you, Justin, from your perspective, what do you see as the biggest challenge uh, that the investigation section uh, faces? I, I would say just the changing landscape of of the criminal side of things we have you know court processes that are that are changing drastically which then puts in in my opinion a a, a bit of bit of a greater burden on us to solidify our cases well then that translate outs to the field with our law enforcement partners and they're burdened on you know just the day-to-day -day police work and then we come in and we go hey this is important and it is um but it's where does it fall on their important scale too? So we're we're constantly in this balancing act with with all of our partners. And like Scott talked about, it's leveraging those relationships. How can we get buy-in so that these other entities understand if we all put in the effort that we need to, we're gonna have a better outcome. Just getting all of all of the agencies to come alongside and go, okay, we'll do our part, you're gonna do your part. Or maybe you're going to do a little bit more heavy lifting because you have an area of expertise, especially when it comes to fire investigation, and and we can come in and support it in this manner, and then the desired outcome would hopefully be better long term. Bill, what about you? From your perspective, what do you see the greatest challenge to the investigation section? Uh, it's maintaining our work product. We have a, a really thorough report format that we use, and it's a um, it's been tested in court, and it, it and it works, and it works well. But with increasing call volume um, and the continued um, 
you know, just running, just, just running the, the, the normal day-to-day routine. Um, it, it just becomes strenuous sometimes. It's not uncommon to put four to six hours into a report. And for me personally, that's, that's, that's a challenge is to, to maintain that professional and that, and that professionalism and that work and that finished product that we like to push forward into the courts if it goes that direction. Uh, no doubt. <laughs> the amount of calls that you guys see today and you guys respond to is, is definitely significant and increased uh, dr- dramatically since uh, over the years. So appreciate that. Uh, Chief, what do you see? What do you what do you see as the biggest challenge? Well, I think kind of the biggest challenge is kind of follow up on uh, what Captain Strom said is is the average is we run about 550 calls uh, per average. Obviously, 2021 we kind of had a high year, uh, unknown if that was due to COVID or not. Uh, but obviously, that number is going to fluctuate. Uh, with regards to that, he said four to six hours, you know, put into each one of those. Right, the the investigation section hasn't changed much. Uh, we still expect that uh, high integrity in regards to the report writing, and we still have that uh, high percentage that we're, that we're outputting. Uh, the problem is, is that four to six hours period, because, you know, each investigator that is on shift and sitting in the office with me uh, as the day personnel are still responsible for all their tap, their tag, you know, all their other extra uh extra duties that are out there too. It doesn't fall off their plate just because they're assigned to investigations. Uh, with the limited time that we have, obviously 24 hours in a day, you can see that depending on how many calls they get, how many reports they have to do, how it can really kind of put them in a time crunch. Uh, so with regards to that, I think one of the goals would be bolstering the section to kind of help alleviate some of that. Uh, obviously adding personnel uh, w- would definitely help with that. Sometimes the numbers, you know, the 550 doesn't necessarily explain uh, if, if the field personnel are looking strictly at numbers, uh, doesn't necessarily explain the time and the workload that actually goes into to each report and each incident. Perfect. Appreciate that. Sean, same thing. Greatest challenge you see to the investigation section. Chief, I, I think it ties in with what both Detective Russell and Captain Strom said. Um, you know, we have a, a high work product that we have to do and increased call volume. Um, and that's the accidental and the criminal fires. Uh, we all know what's happening with the insurance industry in California um, and what they're doing as far as uh, insuring homes. Um, so that directly is a reflect on us and as well as uh, the SRA and cost recovery from the from the state um, and requirements for us to do that. So uh, even those sm- fires that appear to be small oftentimes uh, create a lot of work for us because of those reasons. And then if we venture into the criminal side, um, I think the number of repeat offenders that we're seeing that oftentimes start with smaller fires and, and then we end up with these larger fires that uh, cause more problems, um, those those repeat offenders create a, a lot of work for us that uh, on the front end look like a, a small fire that really wasn't much. Um, and then next, you know, we you know, Justin and I will have 40 or 50 hours into a case uh, for for a small vehicle fire or something along those lines, uh, and and obviously Captain Strom as well. Um, so I think balancing that time, uh, finding which ones of those are the are the appropriate ones for us to be focusing our attention on, and it's not always the obvious answer. You know, I know firsthand how a case can become something so simple could all of a sudden end up in hundreds of hours of work and 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 years of time. Uh, tell it ever it comes to fruition. So thank each of you for the, the jobs you do in the investigation section. Uh, what you guys do is very important. Please share with other investigators how uh, appreciative we are of what you all do. Um, and there's anything that, that you know I can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Uh, but thank you for taking your time and, and sharing a little bit about the investigation section, what you all do uh, with the rest of the organization. So thank you for that. Thank you, Chief. Thank you, Chief. Thank you.
investigation goes. Well, because we're a uh, contract county, obviously we live under the AOP uh, with CAL FIRE, and part of that, that AOP says any fire on SRA land uh, must be investigated uh, for origin cause determination. Now, obviously, it kind of lies on us to determine uh, what needs to be investigated by INVF uh, within a certain uh, parameter, because also in the AOP, it also says any fire that exceeds the IA, which according to the AOP, the IA period is two hours. So any fire that exceeds the IA period uh, must be investigated by a qualified in IROC uh, INVF, so uh, qualified uh, investigator uh, through IROC. Uh, but then once again, uh, some of that determination uh, on size and complexity is kind of up to us as long as it's under the uh, initial IA, so it falls within the IA, the two hours. So obviously your, your, your smaller fires, uh, roadside starts that are held to, to a uh, limited, limited acreage, uh, it's going to be a little bit easier that we might not have to have actual INVF and that uh, some of our other investigators can assist uh, the first in company officer with the origin and cause determination. All right, well, uh, thank you for having us. And then uh, to start, we have a total of 12 personnel, including myself. So uh, first off, we have Roxana. She's our admin assistant. She's kind of like the, the first line of customer service the, that everybody sees. And then she also, also uh, assists us on the admin side. Uh, under that, we have uh, three basically day investigators, and that would be Captain Miller, Captain Strom, and Detective Russell. And their main duties are any and all follow-up within their respective uh, cities within the county, uh, plus any follow-up regarding uh, any court cases and uh, working directly with the DA to file some of those cases. Uh, on, the, on the shift side, which is what most people you know, see out, out in the field uh, investigating the incidents, are six of our shift investigators, and they work the 24-hour shift. They work the same schedule uh, that everyone on the floor works, and that would be A shift is uh, Brent Pardone and Ryan McCullough, and B shift would be uh, Jeff Leinberger and Oliver Gillespie. And then C shift is Scott Kuhlman and Brad Burns. And they're basically the front line. Uh, they initiate all uh, origin and cause uh, determination uh, in the field for uh, any investigations that uh, assist with all with the company officers, the first in company officers, kind of mentorship, help them with some report writing uh, questions and stuff in case, uh, depending on the, the size or the complexity of the fire, if the company offer, officer is going to uh, do the origin cause determination, they're kind of there to assist them and assist them with the report writing.